listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 529. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss dishwasher installation <laughs> and maintenance. Yes. And if we get to Apple TV Plus's series foundation, you know, all the better for the listeners. But, yeah, uh, well, we should really sort out the dishwasher stuff first. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, you know, last we talked, you were going to head to Home Depot, buy a dishwasher, and I'd asked you, you know, you were going to install it yourself, which uh, apparently you did, and all is good. And I mentioned to you, wow, I may be in the market as well. Mine's leaking. And, you know, talking to our buddy Scott, he was like, wow, we, you know, we're in a new house only a few years. And, you know, every 20 times or so, there's a puddle of water on the floor. I'm thinking like, all right. Well, you don't want that. No. That's not yeah, good. But fingers not crossed. Any water on, on the floor ever, anywhere. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, you know, the, the internet being the thing that it is, there's almost nothing you can't find out how to do. This is true. On, on the internet. So for mine, it looks like it's that gasket that runs along the edges and the, uh, the top of the dishwasher. It's just a piece of rubber. And of course they get 40 bucks for it because uh, right. they know you're desperate, but you know, mm-hmm. you just pull it out. You just, I got to watch myself. You just pull it out and then yeah. shove it in. Yeah. But <laughs> Did you have to do it more than one stage. You have to repeatedly. Do it? I, well, hopefully not, but we'll <laughs> see. So, you know, so anyway, I'm looking at dishwashers and, you know, I've said to Mary, should I just spend the 40, 50 bucks for the gasket and, you know, put the new one on hold? And she's like, ah, you know, it, you know, it gets rid of the, you know, imminent need because, you know, in talking to our international listeners, I, I don't know about you, but I guess I lost sight of the fact that air conditioning is not as ubiquitous in Europe as it is in the United States. Right. So I wonder, are, you know, automatic dishwashers, you know, does it, I mean, in in the U.S., everybody's got one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's just like a lot of places in Europe. Well, actually, I don't know why, because there's some places that are colder and some that are about the same as where we are and some that are warmer. So you would think, yeah. But for some reason, yeah, there's not like a lot of air conditioning. But yeah, I mean, for sure, there's people. Everyone's dishwashers in, 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 in the in Europe. They're amazing. Like dishwasher, like one of like the greatest inventions ever. Yeah. So I am the dishwasher at the moment, which, you know, at the end of the day, as like I said to my wife, well, it took me five minutes. So I mean, I, I'm I'm moving through washing the dishes that were already in the dishwasher. Right. So I'm getting caught up, and then it's just a matter of. You know, because just the two of us, so yeah. it's not, that's no big deal. Yeah. Go back in the day, like, well, as a kid, yeah. I mean, we didn't have a dishwasher when I was a kid until you know, I was a little bit older. So, you know, yeah, doing the dishes was me and my sisters actually doing the dishes. You know? Yeah. Yep. We were the automatic dishwashers. Yep. So, uh, anyway, um, just, just real quickly, did you just go out to Home Depot, run down the aisle and pick one, or did you already do your research or? I didn't really do the research. Um, you know, I'm pretty cheap, so I'm looking at the lower price models, but I wanted one that's like a name brand. We went to Home Depot, my daughter and I, and we probably were like looking at dishwashers for, I think probably like 15, 20 minutes. Not a soul said boo to us no one said hi no one said can we help you I, I finally there was a guy just standing there the whole time we're looking there's this guy just standing there 
Doesn't say anything. It was just standing there. So finally, I said, "Hey, you got this one in stock?" He's like, "Oh, our system's down. Come back in an hour." And I'm like, "Well, you you know that there's a Lowe's like five minutes from here, right? Like, do you think I'm going to come back here? Like, it was crazy." So I went to Lowe's and actually one that my daughter liked, and the lady looked up and discovered that the only model they had was the floor model. So she uh, gave me an extra hundred bucks off of that one and. Now, now is that installed it is that down your way or are you talking about the two that are up my way there's they're both both of them were the ones down my way oh so they did the same thing down there that put the lows and the home depot within walking like, distance right, of each other right yeah i wouldn't say walking distance per se but very very close to one another okay too close right. for anyone at home depot to ignore a customer who wants to buy an expensive piece of uh equipment you know all right. Well, we will move on uh, next week. Maybe I'll talk about our transition from flat black appliances to stainless steel. That's but. that's we're we are we're we're two for three now. Okay. We've gone from we except we had white before, so we're moving from white to to stainless steel. So now we've got two mm-hmm. stainless steel things. I'm just waiting for the refrigerator crap out. Should be any day now, <laughs> um, or actually, it shouldn't be. It'll be about the time when I pay off. The dishwasher is when the the refrigerator will go tits up, and then uh, we'll be able to get a, a stainless steel one there. So. There you go. All right. Well, enough of that. Uh, if you guys want to contact us with you know advice on you know purchasing your own home appliances, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. Uh, if you want to submit some feedback, we have a strict six-minute limit on audio feedback. And you know, I would say if you want to tweet us, but we don't have a Twitter or X account anymore. And actually, I even uh, Do closed not? down. Oh, right. You did that ages ago. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I closed down my personal account, too. It was just too depressing. So anyway, uh, some real quick news. I mentioned Lost Girl last week, and I said I would look it up. And it is free on the CW's website and their app, uh, you know, at least on Roku app. Doesn't appear you have to wade through any commercials so if you haven't seen lost girl wow uh, the cw is uh i guess the place to go at this point cool so all right i mentioned last time in the what we're watching segment i would actually transition over to what i'm listening to podcast wise and you know it was you that started branching me out into history oriented podcasts with the history of Rome. And then, you know, I moved on to the uh, revolutions podcast and, and, you know, just went down that rabbit hole. I'm listening now to a podcast called Iroquois history and legends, which is about one of the uh, upper, I guess, upper Midwest try up around Michigan, but really fascinating stuff. The heart of the Shawnee. AKA the Iroquois, they're they're that's upstate New York. Oh, upstate New York. Okay, it's probably. Um, I mean, well, I mean, obviously, it wasn't just one place, but they they're like, you know, Canada, New York, probably Michigan. They're probably around Michigan, and everything too. Okay, but they prefer. Um, I think the term nowadays is Haudenosaunee rather than the I word. Okay, I've mentioned which before, your podcast should know. Well, yeah, of course, from but, a couple of years ago, maybe not so much. Uh, BBC in our time, which is uh, a kind of a timeless podcast. I always love them. They, they take a break in the summer and they go into their archive and they always say, we'll be returning on September 15th with new podcasts. And they never return on September 15th with new podcasts, but whatever, they've got a, like a huge back catalog. So there's always something. 
Scandinavian history podcast, which is really good, but they're quite slow to update. They, they're, they're not regular releasers for sure. Battles of the First World War podcast, a couple of Guitar Gear podcasts, including Chasing Tone with uh, Steve Womp, not Steve Wampler. Uh, that was the guy we used to work with. Uh, um, I forget, Brian Wampler, who makes guitar pedals. But uh, anyway, you know, I, I know for so many of our listeners, I mean, look, you're listening to our podcast, which is about sci-fi TV, and, and that's kind of where I started. And, you know, I don't know about you, but. I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe doing a, a podcast the way we do, it, it, it made me less inclined to listen to others. And, you know, maybe it's just that there's not a show right now that I'm that I'm watching because really I just still listen to the Doctor Who podcast. But, you know, I mean, there's no new Doctor Who episodes at this point. Right. But coming uh, soon, hopefully. Yeah, coming soon. Looks like November. I mean, pretty much everybody's saying that, and they're kind of focusing in on November 23rd. So we will see. But anyway, what do you got? Well, I talked about last week about Lower Decks, and I'd only watched a couple episodes, but now I'm like really into Lower Decks, and I am absolutely loving that show. Um, you know, it's funny how here, – here's – I know I talked about it last time, but here's one thing I did notice because they have – um, guest stars on every now and then. I guess like people from like Next Generation or the Star Trek movies, like their characters will show up on Lower Decks and the original actors will voice them. But it, it's like, it's so weird like hearing like like uh, Jonathan Frakes, for example, uh, voicing Will Riker. And I was actually, as I'm listening to him, like, is that, it kind of sounds like Jonathan Frakes. But it kind of doesn't, you know. And then I thought about it and actually listening to it, I figured why it didn't is because, you know, the voice you use in animation is different than the voice you would use when you are live action, right? When you don't have the ability to emote with your face or with your hand gestures and everything, a lot of times you have to emote more with your voice. And this is not anything official. This is my theory. So it could be completely wrong. But you know, so I would hear like Will Riker, and he's like his voice is raising and lowering at times that are, 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 I'm not used to, and the, and the cadence and uh, timbre that doesn't I'm, I'm not accustomed to. And so, but at the end, it says it was Jonathan Frakes. I'm like, okay. So anyway, but it's great. Beckett Mariner, probably one of my all time favorite characters ever. Um, the other thing that I watched this past week, which is actually. I need to uh, kind of it's it's kind of a mea culpa uh, and a, definitely a mistake on my part. Alan Thomas and his or Alan from Minnesota last week in in his feedback mentioned the movie Freaks from 2012, and for some reason the, I didn't hear the year at all. Um, so I'm flipping the I thought my in my comments when we did that podcast were based on the movie Freaks from 1932. Um, the black and white movie about sideshow performers and a um, and one of them getting caught up in the romantic, romantically involved with uh, a, a, one of the main stars of of the circus and uh, and all this intrigue and everything that went with it. So, but then I was flipping the the dial the other day and I, you know, Ed Freaks from 1932 was was on like Turner Classic Movies. Uh, so I watched it. It's, it's actually a very, very good movie. I, you know, I wouldn't. I don't know if I enjoy it because there's a lot of disturbing stuff in it, 
But um, and just as disturbing stuff is, is like, I mean, I actually saw this like rated as a horror movie. I don't think it's a horror movie, and actually it is kind of like a morality tale where like the bad people are punished, right? And it's the sideshow performers are not the bad people. They're the good people. And it's actually, for a movie coming out in 1932, you would think pretty progressive that sides with the sideshow performers. And even though it calls them you know, freaks, it's right there in the title, they're the ones we sympathize with. And it's the people who are trying to take advantage of them that are the bad people who get their comeuppance at the end. So, but I, anyway, I'm watching this and I just start kind of looking up the cast. And of course, I typed in freaks in movie and I saw you know, Freaks 2012, and then all of a sudden, like, this awareness hit me, like, oh, you know, Alan was not talking about this movie, he was talking about the movie for 2012, which I have not seen, and I was also kind of wondering, because he was talking about the X-Men, and I was like, it's been a while since I've seen Freaks, but I don't remember any kind of (laughs) X-Men characters in there, you know, Um, and so, of course, I watched it, I realized I completely got it wrong and everything, so, but then again, if, you know, Alan hadn't brought it up, I wouldn't have watched uh, the movie Freaks from 1932 again, and it was, uh, you know, a really good movie. And I was able to enjoy it, and uh, so, yeah, thank you, Alan, and I apologize for getting it wrong last week. All right, well, let's move on to Foundation. Season 2, Episode 8, titled The Last Empress, written by Liz Fang, Addie Manis, and Bob Ultra, directed by Roxanne Dawson. This one aired September 1st, 2023. Maybe they should have titled it The Rise of the Machine. Yeah. And, and you know, Alan in Minnesota really didn't like this episode. Ooh, and yeah, he went off on it, yeah. I, well, I mean, that, that went off, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have to disagree. While I don't think it was an A episode, I, I think there's so much here. And, you know, right away what comes to my mind is the the discovery of the secret stairwell and then, of course, we've got that you know, ambiguous title, The Last Empress. So are we talking about Demerzel as Cleon I's last and arguably only empress, but but certainly the, the last? Or is it because Sarath, once she marries Day, uh, assuming the wedding actually takes place, will she then become an empress and get killed and you know then you know all hell breaks loose and whatever and and that for all intents and purposes she becomes the last empress but i mean that alone uh, now you can argue yeah but the way they found that entrance i don't know that was kind of sketchy because the discovery of what was in, in those rooms wasn't i think a stretch because we've been talking for a couple of weeks that it may in fact be demerzel who's calling the shots here so i don't think that was a big big uh something that came out of left field but there, yeah there's plenty that, that that came out of left field in this one and um well i i did enjoy this episode i i definitely would not give it a, a failing grade i i i find i, I think alan's criticisms of it are, are not unfounded i think he's got some good points there but yeah there's there's a lot that happens here but I, you know I, for me i think everything's okay because i'm feeling this eventual team up of bel rios and hober mallow and so you know that i think that the promise or in my mind i should say the promise of that happening has uh 
you know, bump the, the this episode up a couple points. Yeah, and even though we, we you know we don't see much of Bell in this episode, what we do see is so powerful in terms of the overall narrative, and you know the fact that he's got the whisper ship. Your drives are offline. We're going to make you comfortable, but but yeah, like you said, is there going to be a team up? Because we know that that both uh bell and uh gosh i can't think of his husband's name glaywin uh glaywin we know that that they're not happy with what they see in terms of empire and and you know it's certainly it's been floating around what would a revolution what would a coup actually look like so yeah well uh, bell rio says to glaywin it's like here's i think we found the revolutionary you've been looking for right 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 boom there you go Right. So, you know, is, is Hober Mallow and one whisper ship enough to turn the tide? Well, I, I, I guess we'll see. And, and we certainly know the clout that Bell has throughout the military. So uh, Day standing up in that stadium with his bride to be and, and, you know, the adoring crowd. I mean, it's, it's, you know, almost like a, political rally where everybody there is, is you know there to cheer you on so you know that's not really a fair a fair assessment but you know we, we've talked a lot about demerzel and you know what's her deal i mean is it merely to protect the genetic dynasty or is it something darker like we've been intimating it's the last few totally weeks? darker okay and to say that Demerzel's been playing the long game <laughs> would be an understatement. <laughs> He's been but, playing the super long game. Right. But then we go back, well, is it actually Cleon the first that's playing the long game? Yeah. Because well, I don't know. We He's ass- kind of locked up in that, that well, well, back chamber. So, you well, know, well, yeah, but I mean, I, I say that because isn't it reasonable to consider that it's, Demerzel is a product of Cleon the first and what he wanted, or do we just figure that her programming has evolved over the years? And, and, and again, I, I've brought it up a lot, but I think it's relevant. The whole uh, uh, Skynet idea uh-huh. in, in that the machines evolve over time. They get smarter over time they realize that the humans and, and, and we learn in this episode about the human robot war. And then, you know, they, they kind of let it known that it was also robot against robot. So I'm not sure how that worked, but um, you know, we do learn that in, in the end that Demerzel is the last in the galaxy, which again, we've talked about whether or not that's, totally accurate and and i think we all have our doubts that that's totally accurate but right or it's just one's all you need maybe or or, right or one is all you need so um you know then we get to like what do rue and dusk think they know and and doesn't he mention something about day that he he doubts whether day knows about this secret tunnel yeah so what do we think? Do you think Day knows? No. Well, I mean, Dust didn't know when he was Day, right? Well, that's true. So I guess I, 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 I feel like he doesn't, like, because I think that there is, like, Demerzel's got, like, 
you know, there, there's forces at work here that are beyond the Cleons. You know, well, they're pawns in in this game as much as everyone else. Right, but we know about the sexual relationship between Demerzel and Day. Should we assume that it was the same when Dusk was Day? I mean... I get the I, sense no. Right, I, I totally get the sense no, because... He's disapproving of it, right? And not in the way that seems like, oh, when she used to do that. No, like he just straight up disapproves of it. So, you know, I I, probably, as we know, as they mentioned in this episode, each Cleon is slightly different from the others. So, you know, maybe she realizes this particular guy needs, you know, like that's, a way to control him. Like she's had to tailor how she's controlled the empire throughout the years, depending on the individual that she was dealing with. Well, you know, well, yeah. And I think one of the things that I really like about this episode is the fact that it's reasonable to conclude that Demerzel is using this relationship with day to drive a wedge in between him, Dawn, Dusk, his new bride. But then Sarah's kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. Because I think she certainly lets us know through her conversation with Rue that she's just using Dawn and he's a poor dope that, I mean, he won't be the first guy to fall for a beautiful woman, but I, I don't think there's anything that we've seen from her that lets us know she really wants to be with him, that she's just driving a wedge in between. Yeah, except for the horrible, horrible lines where she's speaking with Rue. Rue's like, you love Dawn. And she's like, well, you love Dusk. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. Right. That doesn't matter. Paid to write that? Like, come on, man. Like, Right. um, It's so, so cheesy of a line because I think to – to summarize what their relationship is with Rue and Dusk and Sarath and Dawn to just say it's love. I mean, it's clearly not like, you know, it's so not, I don't even know why they put that line in there when every single thing they've done has been clearly to the point of manipulation, not for any kind of feelings of, of affection. So, well, well, but is it, reasonable that maybe rue underestimates sarah and that she thinks oh my gosh this young girl who's inexperienced in diplomacy has actually fallen for this young guy i i mean is it reasonable to think maybe she actually thinks that initially yeah i feel that that's probably reasonable yeah okay so now again oh well you love dusk well okay what gives you that i mean what what has rue really done i mean sarah has to know that that the initial encounter 20 years in the past or even longer maybe was not rue's choice and you know we'll get back to the other thing i I, again i don't want to jump around too much but what the hell we can too late right it's too late (laughs) you know that whole thing about oh well dominion has the technology now to restore memories Right. Okay. I, I guess we take her at her word. 
And then we get that thing about. Uh, well, that's funny because when you said that, I, I, I can't remember who mentioned it in their feedback was saying like, well, why would she, maybe Fred said, I think, why, you know, why would she say that? Why would she well, spill the beans on exactly. that so early? And I'm like, well, let me refer to uh, Alan from Minnesota's feedback and saying that there's some difficulties in the, uh, in the writing of, of this particular episode. Right, because Rue is many things, reckless is not one of them, no. at least from what we've seen. Definitely and that, that seems like something that Sarath might do, except now I'm starting to feel like I'm not giving Sarath enough credit for playing this long game. So, you know, we'll certainly see. Well, I feel I, like, you know, the, that Sarath is definitely, as we've seen, more than capable of manipulation. And again, when she like just like kisses, you know, day and to like, oh yeah, you should totally go to terminus. Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious, that would make me so happy if you went because I would just admire you so much. And then she kisses him. It's like, all right, like even you know, like day's not dumb. You know, <laughs> like he, certainly he's got to see that this is manipulation and not any kind of actual affection. But he seems to take it as as actual affection. You know, so Sarah, we see she's she's got some game when it comes to manipulation. But I think her if if she does have a tragic downfall here, it will probably be because she is kind of cutting out Rue, and well, not cutting her out, but you know, she's like, I, I'm in charge. You know, you're my servant. I'm the queen, right? And so while she seems like she's listening to Rue, she doesn't seem like she's 100%. She's still going to do what she wants to do, uh, even if it's against Rue's advice. And I think that is going to be bad for her ultimately. Well, yeah, I agree. And, and there, again, there are so many parallels in this story where you've got Rue advising Sarath. You've got Demerzel advising Day. The difference is... Day is infinitely more experienced than Sarath is. Yeah. And while you might say, and Demerzel is, is far more powerful and experienced than Rue, clearly that's true. But Rue is experienced. So I guess what I'm getting at is I, I, I think Sarath's downfall is going to be that she underestimates Day. And I don't feel Day is somebody you really want to underestimate at this point. And you might say, well, bad move going to Terminus. And I, yeah. I think I would agree. <laughs> I mean, certainly at this I feel point, like a it's, very not, bad move. It, it's starting out to be a, a pretty shaky decision. But then the other thing, Rue and Sarah, they're talking about taking out Day. And that, that line, wife and widow are both called Empress. She tells Sarath, I don't know. You know, it's like if you come for the king, you better right. take him down. Better not miss, right? So Rue's trying to get her to exhibit patience, but that doesn't seem to be in her DNA. But the other thing is, I don't see any scenario at all where Demerzel is going to allow herself to be disabled. No. I mean, what does that even look like? I, so I'm certainly chopping her head in half doesn't get the job done so right and and then you get to the 
the thing about the genetic dynasty, does having the genetic dynasty in place play to her advantage? What's her role after all this is over? And and Mm -hmm. somebody brings it up in their feedback. You know, I don't know if, I think we did discuss the possibility that she's a clone, but then as I forget who points it out, Joe, Joe, uh, the, the fact that if she was a clone, she would age. Right. So, you know, there is that. And, and, and I, and I think that's right that she's not a clone. She is a machine. So how do, how, how is her never changing appearance explained to the public? Right. Maybe, maybe it's not, maybe they just say yeah. we're empire F you. So yeah, true. But she, but, it's not like she's in the back. She's publicly out there with him. Right. All that's the what time, I'm saying. Right. So, and they have photography. So, you know, it's like someone put together like, Hey, wow. If you look at this picture from like a thousand years ago, there's Demerzel's in this picture or someone who looks exactly like her. And then 500 years ago, well, there's someone, you know, yeah. like uh, it, obviously someone that put this together. So, how she's able to work this either they're going to come up with some ludicrous plot point to explain it or something she's been doing something or something's been going on that people not noticing her has been part of like the cunning plan well you know the the future of the genetic dynasty storyline that that were introduced in the opening scene where dusk tells rue demerzel's the closest empire has to family but then that recognition He's been programmed to acknowledge Demerzel's status with Empire. Always been there, always will. So where did that programming come from? Is that in the genetics? Is that something that Demerzel does as each new brother is decanted? We don't know at this point. Right. Well, and also she is instrumental in their upbringing when they're young right as we saw uh so yeah there's multiple opportunities she would have to um to condition them to just accept her and her position without question you know when we talked about the the background we get about the robot war the execution of polly and constant which is being broadcast throughout the galaxy. I I really liked how that was presented narratively, especially on Terminus where you see, you know, the, the, the solemnity and her father doing all he can to remain composed because on the one hand, this is his daughter. On the other hand, I'm, you know, the leader of, of, foundation and of course the way things you know play out when when hober appears i'm sorry folks beheading's been canceled (laughs) which is just classic but what do you think about day's handling of the whole situation on the one hand he could have showed compassion i don't think anybody argues that with him this time well, Unless I'm forgetting. N- no, I, I don't think anyone like argues that he should show compassion. He doesn't. Um, I don't think he, he he makes a very rash decision to execute them, which is weird because now at the end of this episode, he's like, "Well, I want to talk to them." 
well, not the end, you know, when he goes there because all of a sudden he decides, oh, I want to talk to them. It's like, wait, wait a second. Like, just a second ago, you killed two innocent people just for showing up and saying they're from, you know, the foundation and from Terminus. And now, all of a sudden, you've you've completely 180'd on this and you want to go and, and you now, does he actually want to use diplomacy? That's, all, of course, is extremely questionable. Right, but is he ready to behead Constant? Yeah, it's for sure. Cer- right, it sure seems as if he is. And again, you have to just look on her with wonder as she allows her faith to carry her through what has to be just a truly terrifying experience. I don't think we can overstate what it is she's going through at this point. Um, well, you know, Dave makes a classic mistake of allowing the prisoner to speak from the dock, right? Which sure. historically has always been, you know, has made criminals in, or not criminals, or convicts or prisoners into martyrs, right? Right. And and in this case, gives Hober Mallow a chance to come in and save the day. And I don't think I'm the first one to bring up the Han Solo comparison but it sure feels that way to me and i'm not a huge star wars guy by any stretch again somebody in the somebody in the uh the feedback mentions about uh you know the stormtrooper comparison to the empire in my notes too it's like come on man like this is just like yeah because you know in the star wars famously the stormtroopers can't hit the broadside of a barn and and here likewise all the uh imperial soldiers for some reason uh, Hover Mallow, one guy swoops in and takes on a whole raft of soldiers and the emperor himself and uh, leaves unscathed. You know, and, and I like the fact that he finds Constant and he realizes that it really would be foolhardy to try to rescue Polly as well, that, that they would all go down she doesn't argue with him, and you could argue that, well, she's stunned, suffering from, you know, whatever, uh, shock and trauma of the situation, and that would be true. But so many times in stories we see, you know, the hero go back and, again, usually they get away with it, but it's really a foolhardy move. I was not sure at all what the hell just happened. I mean, it sure seemed like a nuclear blast of some sort. I am a little surprised that it didn't do more damage to the human beings up on, you know, the stage, but whatever. Uh, And then of course we learn that it's the uh, ship's gravitational pulse that, that did that. Now did Hober know that was going to be the effect I guess. Yeah. Um, well, you know, this, the whole rescue, like, I mean, I, I, I find myself agreeing with uh, Minnesota, Alan, a, a bit on this, that it is kind of very deuce ex machina-ish and certainly seems outlandish and, um, as, as also Joe points out, very unrealistic. But in the end... Darn it, if even the second time I'm watching this, I was like just pulling for the good guys, you know? 
Like it's like the same thing with Star Wars. You know, I know this is crazy that these imperial troops that must be they're on the Death Star, so you assume they're probably very well trained troops, but they can't hit anything. They're they're awful marksmen. They're they're bad at their jobs. People just slip by them all the time. But I don't I don't really in the end I guess I just don't care. I'm willing to let that go because it's just enjoyable to watch Hober Mallow, who, yeah, Joe's right, he's not an action hero, but to watch him in action, it was like, I liked it, man. You know, like, I thought it was it was fun. Was it realistic? Did it make sense? Am I a fanboy for liking it? No, no, and yes, but, you know, what can I say? I, I, that's how I feel, man. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the scene where Sarath makes that display of of encouraging day to go to terminus kisses him and all that it sure seems as if demerzel looks on with a hint of jealousy so i don't know if that's all about or maybe it's just simply she's thinking like dude this is a terrible decision on your part and i that maybe she knows there's no way i can talk him out of it so I'm just going to have to bite the bullet because then that comes back to can a machine be jealous? And I guess I would argue, yeah, why not? Isn't it a learned emotion? Isn't it a learned, you know, wow, machine can't have emotion. Well, okay. I guess that's an argument for another day, but. But it's kind of like what, you know, Dusk was talking about though, where like all the robots wanted was for their personhood to be admitted right right sure and so yeah she's you know made of non-organic material but does that mean you know she she's not like a person she doesn't feel she can't you know emote right no i'm not going there right yeah right um and again i'm trying to think uh sarah connor chronicles what summer glow's character's name is oh cameron cameron you know is cameron in love with john yes yeah that's what i thought as (laughs) well so i mean we've seen this before and and i think a case can be made and again we could have a whole podcast about that so uh but the other thing is rue reminds sarah you, you really need to be careful because in the end, your people are going to be the ones to suffer. If you don't take him down or who's going to suffer? Yeah, maybe you will, but the people are going to suffer as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's almost as if the, the, the revenge factor is so powerful in Sarath that either she didn't consider that or she doesn't care. Either is bad, so. right? Yeah. Anyway, and I think I think it's it's probably actually both, right? Yeah. That or or the one feeds into the other, right? Because she doesn't care that she doesn't really consider it, you know. Yeah, I thought reversing the vasectomy was supposed to be painless. That didn't look too painless to me. No. Well, did they say it was painless? I don't know. Like, I, I thought they were. Com- she was comparing it to the gynecological examination that she had to go through, you know, about whether or not she was going to be able to uh, give birth. So 
regardless, um, you know, the two of them do the deed and, and I, it's funny. He's what one time and he's assuming she's pregnant. All right. I guess. Yeah. But then Demerzel is Cleon's own true heir, his forever empress. Whether or not that's true. I, I mean, it seems that way, whether or not she's going to be the last empress, I don't think we're going to find out in season two, but if the show gets all five seasons the way the showrunners have have hoped, uh, we will see. You know, we we have to address what's going on on Ignis, and I guess what I like here, Tellum had said Gail's going to lead her people. Oh, okay, but it's not the way we thought, right? Yeah. It's like it's she actually meant I'm going to lead your pe- the people. In Gail's body. You're right. And Which, technically, I mean, you know, somewhat. Yeah. Now, uh, look, don't get me wrong. I'm happy Salvor is alive. Still sure. my favorite character in the show. Kind of dubious, but again, like you said before, whatever. I'm, I'm glad she's alive. Assume that she's going to burst into the hall right before the you know i don't know whatever the process is you it's almost got like this uh, satanic quality to it that you know she's on the she's on the altar and somebody's going to come in with a knife and of course that's not what's going to happen but right well but you know like it i I know you haven't seen this movie but i think it's x-men apocalypse and there's the very beginning of the movie there is this transfer of consciousness scene just like this and everything that but it's yeah all tied in with yeah now it was pretty cool the way the prime radiant is revealed where it's like oh, okay we got it disassembled and it's flattened out and now i'm going to bring it out and that's how was i'm going to get her, out was it part of her jacket was that I, yeah i think that's what it was or okay. else in the lining one of the two i wasn't exactly sure I guess I could have gone back and watched that even more carefully. Yeah. But, I could have too, Dave. So, yeah. Yeah. But uh, as Harry points out, apparently there's a quantum portal into the vault. And I guess one of the things I like about this scene is, is how Harry is surprised about so many things. And of course the revelation on his part that, Oh, well, how many copies are there? And we're still not sure. I mean, we, we've posited that, all right, the, the copy that's in the actual body that Tellum drowned and killed, all right, that one's probably gone. And I know I've said, well, there's one in the ship. All right, I right. guess. Sure. But is like there the- another one? And I'm starting to think maybe there is. But Well, I, I mean, like we, we had said this before, is that there, you know, he could have, copies everywhere right like you sure. could have sent them all over the place and so you know and i only i think we both just kind of assumed that that he did so and that that, right. that we there are more copies than, than what we've seen right and, and and his deduction that this foundation this vault we're the control group okay we're the decoy right you, yeah you he's know, like the, right, i think one of he says, oh, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. He's like, I'm the left hand. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, right. So, that was a good line. And there, yeah, there was it, some pretty crap writing in this one at some points, but that line was classic. Right. And his 
recognition that there are things he doesn't know and that maybe Salvor shouldn't be telling him. And I, I think he, in fact, he says, wait a minute, you shouldn't be telling me that. So I, I, I like that. But then when he sits down and he writes Hober Mallow on the vault, are we to understand that that's something we've already seen? Okay, so I don't know. Here's the questions I have. I have a lot of questions about this. So first of all, I can't remember, and I know this is my bad, but when did Salvor find out about Hober? Yeah, that I'm not sure. Right? I was trying to think about it. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure it was at some point, but I can't remember. They never met. They haven't met, right? Because Hober yeah. was only been back on uh, Terminus with, you know, Constant and Polly and that crew. And when they talked to Harry back there, Salvor wasn't there. So Salvor and Gale had been off in space on their own with the other Harry. Was it in Gale's, like, vision or something? I, I totally can't remember. I was hoping you would. Yeah, I don't remember. I'm, I'm actually trying to see if I can find it in one of the foundation wikis but uh you know there's too be many. careful dude because like you're gonna you're gonna read something you don't want to read yeah i know i just i, 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 just I, I tried that down. too and then like i i was like no i'm not i can't i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna see something i don't want to see so i'm not gonna read it anymore right but, but I, couldn't, that, I couldn't remember so i i assume that there there I'm, and i'm not calling out the show was like how how where'd this come from you just pulled this one out of your butt i mean they, they must have set that up before someplace but so what I'm thinking is that there's there's one of two things. Either A, the, the vault exists like out of time, which we, we know the time is different in the vault than outside of it, right? Sure. Um, so she can tell him something in the vault and that who knows what that actually corresponds to actual time or what we're seeing um, right now on happening on Ignis is happening concurrently with you know, the words Hober Mallow appeared on the the vault back on Terminus. Okay. And that they and we're just seeing, you know, something that it's slightly more in the past than the other story. Which is can perfectly fine, can work as well too. So it's I think it's one of those two things. But I thought it was kind of, of cool. Like it's like a like a almost like a it's a, it is actually a bootstrap paradox, right? Where um, you know, she by telling Harry Hober Mallow is when actually Hober Mallow gets involved in this because no one really knew who he was before that. Right. Because certainly one of the things to consider is whether or not the timeline has been altered by the course of events. But I, but I, oh, I like, now you're bringing in a whole nother thing, Dave. Wow. Well, right. And, and I like <laughs> your assessment better than that. Because like you said, in terms of a bootstrap paradox, because, you know, how can she know about Hober if, anyway, I'll give myself a headache. And, you know, we see Constance's father drinking in the field near the vault and he's cursing Harry, lamenting his daughter's faith in Harry, you know, uh, he certainly knows his daughter wasn't beheaded, but he doesn't know whether she survived that blast and i don't know that they really knew what that blast was like like 
me, I they probably think it was some sort of a nuclear bomb. Well, rather but than, th- there was a shot of Hober like goes up to the oh, you're camera right, and you're says, right, yeah, like the the uh, the, the execution has been canceled. So they they know it was Hober Mallow who did it, right? But they don't right. know if he was successful or not, right? Right. And then of course the the the, the scene that we've kind of been waiting for because we. I think they make an adorable couple, don't they? They do make an adorable couple. And and Hober. And again, I just, I love her attitude about all this because he has been initially presented as, you know, this guy that, that he, he likes his wine. He likes his women. He's experienced. Like, you know, we said a couple of weeks back as he tells her, look, I don't mind being your 10th. I don't want to be your first. And yet in the moment, she even says, are you nervous? Uh-huh. When by all accounts, she should be the one that's nervous. And yet she's not. Right. So I just love that about her. And I, and, I, and I love the way this scene just transposed. I couldn't decide whether kissing or disrobing should come first. I went with disrobing. What do you think? <laughs> and then I love his reaction because clearly it's not something he could fake. He likes her as well. Yeah. So I just, I like that. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, like you just, it's fun because I was thinking about this is how she kind of defies all the stereotypes that we think of as a holy person, right? Like, and the, one of which, which you know, obviously comes from the the long history of Western culture and the Catholic Church, is that a holy person needs to be, uh, you know, can't have sex, needs to be chaste, and also that a holy person should be humble and modest and all these things. And she's kind of like not really necessarily all of those things. She's just she's like a normal person. Who also is, you know, a, a follower and a, a, a uh, efficient in 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 this quote unquote religion. You know, she she kind of like, but but she's been defying our expectations since like really we first met her. So when she just drops her clothes and just says, "All right, time for sex," you know, it's just like it's like again. I, I thought it was I thought it was a nice scene. I thought it was a cute scene. I thought it was it, it was nice. The, the way she played, the way she, as you said, the way she's in control here um, and even saying, oh, is something not functioning, you know, like that and everything, you know, she's totally taking charge of the whole situation. I thought it was great. All right. Anything else before we get to the feedback? Well, they, uh, they did include the great line that appears across, I think, basically all of the uh, foundation books, which is violence is the last refuge of the incompetent which is just a fabulous line straight of Asimov. So sorry, writers, you can't take uh, your credit for that one. Uh, going back to like dusk and this is just really quick thought is, can he be any creepier? Like, I don't know if he can, like he sneaks up on Rue as she's in Demerzel's room, which real that in itself is pretty, that's a pretty ballsy move on her part. Uh, but then, you know, Dustlick just kind of sneaks up behind her and it's just like, dude. And then he like breaks into her room later, right? Like, he's just so creepy. Like, I just can't get on board with, with Dusk, you know. I don't know. I, I've, there's probably other stuff. I, I can't think of anything else. So. 
Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to listener feedback. And Cincinnati Joe checks in via email again this week. What are we watching? He says this week, season finale for Osaka, Wheel of Time, which is a show I tried to get into. And maybe I'll give it another shot at some point. Yeah. I feel like I keep wanting to give that show another. Yeah, I've only watched like the first two episodes. And I know what your problem is with it because those episodes are long. Yeah. No I even thought they were long. And if I thought they were long, they must be excruciating for you. It's like a damn movie. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, only Murders in the Building. He says, that, I'm one, enjo- I was, that one looks good. I, okay. I want to see that one. Uh, I'm enjoying the latest season of Star Trek Lower Decks. We'll, yeah, be, we'll start watching Loki Season 2, and I'll check out Gen V on my own. He's got a smiley face, so I'm assuming it's uh, like I, I've, I've read about Gen V. Um, I certainly know, as I explained to my wife, uh, I don't know if I'm going to watch it. You definitely don't want to watch it. He says, in a previous episode, you mentioned that people must think Demerzel is a clone. Two things on that. Why would they go to the trouble to clone someone who just seems to be an assistant? Fair point. But, you know, as we said earlier, it, you know, there's there are reasons why she's probably, well, we know she's not a clone. She's a machine. Also, from what we've seen, she hasn't changed her appearance. Even a clone would age. And there's only one of her that we know of. Uh, unlike the three Cleons, who do we who we do see aging? How could she keep looking the same for decades and decades? It's odd they don't try to explain or excuse this better. And and hopefully we'll we'll get an answer on that sometime. In this episode, we get yet more magic, transfer of consciousness, and a time paradox. The air defenses of the Empire are pretty bad if Hober's ship could leisurely fly away after crashing into the palace at the heart of it. <laughs> he ran around in the smoke until he found the person he was looking for, took her to a ship, and strolled away. One guy who's mostly a con man, not an action hero. This was epically bad security, especially given there was a recent assassination attempt on Day. Good point. They yeah. didn't stop the one guy who blasted in and barely protected the emperor. Yeah, fair points, and we've talked about the... Uh, the relationship to stormtroopers and their inability to hit a target, any target, even a wall. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the big thing w- with uh, Joe's that I'd like to get an answer on is what do the people think about Demerzel? Right. So, like, you know, maybe we'll see. Yeah. I, I feel like that's, I, I, I mean, I feel like we're going to get that answer in the next two episodes, but. I mean, like, they, they can't bring up all this. They haven't really addressed that question, right? Like, no one's asked, hey, how come Demerzel's been here for, like, thousands of years? Well, how come Demerzel never gets older when she's, like, thousands of years old, right? Like, no one's asked that question out loud. But I think because no one's asked that question, that might actually be the actual issue at hand. Yeah. All right, well, why don't we get to the audio portion, and we'll be right back and check in there. Hello to everyone at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Alan from England here with feedback about Foundation Series 2, Episode 8, Last Empress. So much in this episode. I'd need a whole podcast just to talk about it, so I'll just go for a few themes. Firstly, who is the Last Empress? At the start of the episode, we had only known about Cleon the First's mother, that one with the giant statue that was unveiled. 
Sarath is the next likely empress, but by the end of the episode, it's clearly Demersal. Memory. Rue tells Dusk that her people can recover erased memories. All of hers, and presumably his, or anyone else's, that could have a big impact on things, though I wasn't sure why she revealed that so easily to him. Secret Doors. When Dusk noted that the chroma wall painting wasn't reacting as it should to human proximity, I thought, we're going to have a false memory because you are a robot too situation. But it wasn't quite as drastic as that. It just was a secret door that led down to a place that no one had seen for hundreds of years. Brother Constant saved in the very nick of time by Hodor Mallow. Although I thought she really was going to die a martyr's death, and the impact, especially the manner of how she faced the death, would affect the whole of the empire. People really seemed to be kind of feeling that and being in tune with it. But no, she was actually saved. That uh, Mallow certainly is a pain in the side of empire. Salvor happens to have the Prime Radiant, although I wasn't quite sure when and where she got hold of that. And she reaches Harry. But is this Harry in the vault? Or is this yet another Harry in the Radiant? I wasn't quite sure, although it seemed to be the latter. That bit about the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And then his exclamation, Oh, I'm the left hand. That was quite funny. Indicates he is another kind of secondary limited version. And then when she mentions Hober Mallow, it did remind me of the Hodor moment in Game of Thrones, where Brack reaches back through time to implant a suggestion in Hodor's mind to save them years later. Because Harry Seldon had never heard of Hobermallow until it got mentioned, then obviously it must have travelled back through time because then it was put onto the outside of the vault and then Hobermallow was summoned. Uh, That's why I referred to him as Hodor Mallow earlier. Hober and Constant have an eventful reunion, and it looks like Sarath and Dawn do too. Tell them. So it looks like she jumps into a younger, more healthy body when hers starts to wear out. So does that mean that maybe after hundreds of years, she could be jumping into someone that then becomes the mule? Or rather, she is the mule and will jump into that guy's body that we saw in the uh, premonition. So, a lot going on. I really enjoyed the twists in this episode. Take care. Alan from England. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season 2, Episode 8. A little disclaimer to start with. I didn't or actually couldn't listen to Dave and Wayne's podcast about Episode 7 because it's not out when I'm recording this I'm recording this a week early because by the time I normally would send in my audio feedback, I'm in an area without any internet access. Okay, let's go into episode 8. I was right. Demoiselle is behind it all. Okay, that was my feedback for episode 8. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Uh, that was a joke. In the podcast of episode 6, I gave feedback and said that 
the less amount of memories for all the Cleons, except from Cleon the first, but also the present brother day, made it suspicious that it is Damazel behind it all, keeping the Cleon stupid and just marionettes. Here is a little fragment from the episode six podcast. And you know, it's funny because as I was listening to Fred's feedback, I was like, sorry, typing that. Oh, I disagree. I think maybe uh, Cleon the first did something to the original D- DNA. And then when Fred brought up Demerza, I like literally stopped typing and just deleted like the last half of what I wrote. Cause I'm like, Oh, that, that, that theory sounds much more plausible that Demerzel has been really in control and has been keeping the Cleons uh, in a, you know, genetically engineered state of, of inadequacy. Um, I like yeah. I like that theory a lot more. Well, thank you, Wayne. And it doesn't often happen that I'm right with my predictions. But with that, Sarah's question is not answered. Who did put Damazel in her position? Was that Cleon the first? I think it was great that with their limitations, Dawn and Dusk, together with Sarat and Rue, discovered the same thing, although in a complete different way. And they come to the same conclusion about Demerzel and about their own position and role. I liked all these intrigues, but also that it was quite action-packed, at least from the moment that Harbour Mallow crashed into the palace Little nitpick there, Becky grabs Brother Day at his right shoulder, and when Brother Day later walks into the palace, he is bleeding from his left forearm and has some kind of cloth or towel around it. Another little nitpick is the refertilization of Brother Dawn. It's done in a few seconds, whereas spermatozoa normally have to ripe for almost two months, but okay, it would be a narrative difficult situation if we are going to wait for two months. And on the other hand, nobody said he did impregnate Seret. It actually only becomes a nitpick when Seret proves to be pregnant. On the other hand, you never know what these marvelous nanites can do. I love the interaction between Selfor and Harry in the fault and how that version of Harry was capable of drawing all kinds of conclusions. It was even understandable what happened there, apart from the end where Harry writes down the name of Hobermallow. I got a little confused in the timeline there, because that already had happened, or what? Another nice discussion was between Polly Verisov and the Empire on the Rubicon. The Empire said, it must be strange being stared at by Empire. And Polly says, I met Harry Seldon. I'm used to fame. The whole story about the fusion of Gaal and Talum, or Talum taking over Gaal, etc., is a little bit too wishy-washy for me. I think this series has a supernatural aspect in it, but it shouldn't be too much. So, for instance, Selvor having connection to Harry on Terminus is okay, but this whole mind-melting, mentalings thing is a bit too much, or different somehow. 
Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Hi, Wayne and Dave, and all Sci-Fi TV Rewatch listeners. This is Alan in Minnesota with Feedback for Foundation, Season 2, Episode 8, The Last Empress. No broken record this week. I guess now is at least when I prove I'm not just a knee-jerk Foundation fanboy. In my opinion, the show suffered a dramatic drop in quality in this episode, as if it went from the peak to the pit of Game of Thrones in one leap. Or maybe it's more accurate to say that it suddenly feels like a second-rate Canadian sci-fi show you might stumble across late at night on the SIFI network. The visuals are still impressive, to be sure, but the writing, directing, and even acting are not. The dialogue loses its sharpness, and the action set pieces are laughable, with the lone Hobermallow gunning down Empire troops who are suddenly more inept than stormtroopers. The only saving grace of this episode is the Harry Seldon scenes, which are still captivating and intriguing. Looking up the writing credits, I see The Last Empress used three writers who were not listed for any of the season's earlier episodes, although that was also true of the previous episode, and I liked it a lot. But peeking ahead, I see three of the four writers credited for the final two episodes are ones who co-wrote the ones I loved earlier in the season, although Liz Fang, one of the three co-writers of this mess, co-wrote the finale with Goyer. Let's hope she's the one responsible for the Harry Seldon scenes. So, for the first time ever, I'm giving an episode of this show a failing grade. Let's still call it a D-plus, since I did really like the Harry scenes. Now, Alan in England you know, brings up the whole idea about who the last empress actually is. And, you know, we discussed that already a little bit. And, and the, the fact that she threw out the whole memory reveal, perhaps prematurely. But one thing I didn't really think about, you know, when he mentions about the potential martyrdom of brother constant had the execution actually taken place and whether or not from a narrative perspective, this was really a missed opportunity and as much as I love her character, I've mentioned dozens of times over the 12, 13 years of the podcast, the fact that writers have to be brave at times. You have to be willing to kill characters that you know the audience really has connected to. And, and yes, right. well, they, run- just, they just kill Harry multiple times. Well, yeah, right. And, and I understand that's a huge risk that you take with your audience, but in a show so sprawling as foundation, if you kill one character, you you have to feel there are others that your audience is still going to stick with. So while I'm certainly glad that constant survived, that's a pretty good point. Alan makes, but I I, I mean, I genuinely felt like she might actually die when, there, you know, especially given the, yeah. the big speech and everything, I'm like, oh. What I really liked is his theory about Tellum, who, after decades of body jumping, may in fact end up being the mule. Yeah, that that sounds pretty solid of a theory. You know, I I, I think when I when I consider it, when I first heard him say that, I'm like, nah. But it's only I'm, I'm like letting my knowledge of the books get in the way there i think and so yeah. um i you know i think that's actually a a, a great 
possibility because it's like if she's just jumping in other people's consciousness, she doesn't have to always jump in. And who knows if the mule is a dude or a, a male or female or non-binary? We have no idea what the mule is. So, I mean, I guess that is totally out there as right. a possibility. Right. And now that you know, we know she has learned about the mule through Gail's vision you know which came first but uh yeah anyway uh fred i hope you your lack of the internet is going well <laughs> i don't know how it could for me yeah. it drive me crazy um good call on demerzel's input with the cleons yeah again like we said fred like probably everybody that watched this episode got confused with the timeline and the uh, hober mallow writing on the vault so again that's got to be one of those things that gets addressed in the last two episodes I, i'd be surprised if they carry that into season three i, I mean I, this doesn't really matter though is the question I because guess. it doesn't matter whether you know salvor was talking to harry and we just we know what they were trying to get across was that Salvor precipitated Hober's um, participation in this whole excursion. Yeah, so while I think it's reasonable for them to hold off on further explanations about Demerzel and you know maybe what the populace thinks about her, uh, that I could certainly see waiting till season three to give us some insight on that. But I don't know, th- this I think, they almost have to address it sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about Allen in Minnesota drop in quality. Wow. Uh, <laughs> he second, really didn't like this. <laughs> second rate Canadian sci-fi show. Yikes. Allen gives it a D plus. I wouldn't have like a top 10 list of what Allen meant by second rate Canadian sci-fi shows. We should do that. You should have a top 10 second rate Canadian sci-fi TV shows. That'd be a good one. Yeah, because there probably are some. You have to, you know, yeah. go down and, uh, you know. Lost girl. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, speaking about lists of shows, uh, we, we, we'll we just tease there might be something coming in the, f- the future in terms of uh, show lists. But uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. All right, guys, thank you so much for the feedback. Alan, England, Alan in Minnesota, Fred in Germany from the Netherlands, and then, of course, Joe in Cincinnati. You know, I'm going A-. minus. I like this one. I, I feel like there are so many really important story points that they hit on, and they gave us enough meaningful dialogue, meaningful details that, uh, I'm good with the sketchy dialogue and, and a couple of the sketchy, I, I, I guess, things that some of the characters did to, you know, overlook. So I'm going A minus. You know, I, I'm looking through my notes, Dave, and I have one where I, I have a really, uh, I have a deus ex machina, and I have a terrible dialogue, just terrible. So with those. With with those comments in my notes as I was watching it, I cannot go above. I, I think I'm going to give it a B plus. Okay, and I would probably just give it a straight B. But I'm so excited about potential team up with Bel Rios and Hober Mallow that I just uh, I, I'm going to upgrade there a little bit. Um, in, in case you're wondering what I wrote for really, 
it's when um, Hober is attacking and Day like stands up and goes, stop them <laughs> or stop him or something like that. You know, it's just like, so like, oh my God, really? Really? So yeah. anyway, so yeah, I'll, I'll B plus for this kid here. Okay. Fair enough. So. All right. Well, only two episodes to go, um, which yeah, you know, I don't want to say that this season has flown by. I, I've certainly enjoyed it. I got to be honest, a lot more than I thought I was. I, I wasn't, I don't want to say I was, wasn't looking forward to covering it for the podcast, but season one, I liked, but I didn't love. Right. But I, I'm really into it now. And, and for me, the, the storyline with Demerzel, who may in fact be the puppet master has, has really gotten me excited about where this might go. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, well, we will leave it there. That'll do it for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about foundation, anything going on in your genre world. Check out the Facebook group. If you haven't already sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. And we'll be back next week to talk about season two, episode nine season two penultimate episode of the apple tv plus series foundation but until then yeah dave i know that in three weeks we're going to be talking about ragnarok a different show but i want to tell you right now and the maybe five to 15 people who are listening that i do not fear change